Where does Dylan Gabriel rank in ESPN's quarterback tiers heading into 2022? And who's got the best Heisman bet out of the Big 12? We'll talk about that and softball's big win on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, Sooners Nation, and welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered for all the best lines and odds over at betonline.net. It's where the game starts. Thank you for joining me. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. And joining me as he does every day is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, how's it going, man? Oh, it's good. I know that, of course, this is not maybe what we're leading with tonight, but I can't wait to talk about Oklahoma softball. They continue to just do record-breaking, abnormal stuff. So I'm in good spirits this evening. How are you, my friend? Yeah, also same. Great spirits. And we got some quarterback. We got football news to talk about. We're still three months away, but thankfully we got ESPN and Athlon Sports and CBS constantly pushing out football content for us to to read and react to. So we're going to talk about ESPN's tier rankings for all 131 FBS programs, which is quite an undertaking, I'll say. And I'll, I'll kind of preface maybe whatever criticism we offer with just that, because it's it's hard to get it all right when you're making lists like this and you're making rankings. I know I, I get them off from time to time, but um Mr. David Hale, ESPN staff writer, went through and ranked every single situation in the FBS. And your Oklahoma Sooners starting quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, came in in tier four, which he categorized as definitely, probably, maybe having some Heisman chances or you know maybe being pretty good. So first, your reaction to that, did you feel like it's too low, too high? He's also ranked with UCLA's Dorian Thompson Robinson, the guy that he probably would have replaced had he stayed at UCLA, South Carolina's Spencer Rattler, and Kentucky's Will Levis. So just initial reactions to that, Josh, what do you think about being in tier four with those those quarterbacks? Well, when you think about it through the spectrum of tier one, two, three, four, you feel like, okay, well, that's a little bit of disrespect for Dylan Gabriel and some of the company that he keeps in this uh, tier right here isn't necessarily setting the world on fire. Of course, you, I, we're all familiar with Spencer Rattler and the type of potential that Spencer Rattler has. We saw Spencer Rattler have a fabulous finish to his first season in Norman when they won, what, eight consecutive games, finished as the Big 12 champions and went into last season with all of the hype in the world, but then, of course, we saw the beginning of the 2021 season. The Rattler, uh, the the connection there to Rattler, I, I don't find uh, disturbing in any way, shape, or form. The rest of that group, I'm sort of like, well, you hope that Dylan Gabriel's a, a better quarterback than that. But just surface level, when you think about the fact that David Hale, what did he have, 20-some-odd tiers to his quarterback rankings? You hear tier yeah. four and you're like, oh, well, 
that's that's not all that great. But then you realize he had 21 different tier rankings. Tier four is not all that bad. And oh, by the way, Dylan Gabriel is the highest ranked Big 12 quarterback. I guess my question would be the fact that Dylan Gabriel's all the way down in David Hale's mind in tier four. I get certainly not having Dylan Gabriel alongside either C.J. Stroud at Ohio State or Bryce Young at Alabama. I don't view Dylan Gabriel going into 2022 as that type of Heisman Trophy favorite. I think he's a solid medium odds type shot, long shot bet for Dylan Gabriel because of the type of history that Oklahoma offensively has had. But, hey, there's some question marks that you could entertain me with with Oklahoma's wide receiving the step up right for Dylan Gabriel to power five football I think that's a fair question to have about Dylan Gabriel all in all not bad being in tier four the fact that he's the highest rated big 12 quarterback I think is a compliment to Dylan Gabriel and a show of faith a sign of faith in Jeff Levy and what Oklahoma is going to be able to do in 2022 my immediate question though would be John is this David Hale of ESPN telling us yeah, nobody from the Big 12 Conference is a legitimate national championship contender. I think it's hard to extrapolate that because I think so much goes into a team winning a, a national champion. I will say it's going to be tough for Oklahoma to win a national championship just because of Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and the talent that they have on those teams. Could they contend? Absolutely. Could they contend for a playoff spot? I believe so. I think it'll have to come down to more than just the quarterback. Like we saw in 2022 or sorry, 2021. I mean, the quarterbacks were good at times, but in games when they weren't very good, Oklahoma struggled Baylor, Iowa state, uh, the second half against Oklahoma state where it led to their, their second loss of the season and knocked them out of playoff contention. A lot is going to have to, you know, uh, formulate for the Oklahoma Sooners. We think they're going to be really good and we think that the guys that are going to be replacing the players that went off to the NFL are going to be really good, and this team's going to have the talent. Will it come together like we expect? We get to find out in three months. But I still think that this is going to be a really good defense. The offensive line is going to be pretty good. The wide receiver core is going to be solid if it's not great like we've had in years past. But it wasn't great last year, and they put up some really good numbers as well. I think having more of a wide receiver hierarchy is going to help. You know, when you rotate a bunch of guys in, it's kind of hard to have good chemistry, good continuity between your quarterback and your wide receiver. It could just create some, um, yeah, just poor communication at times or just a disjointed offense. If you've got five or six guys that you're rotating in at wide receiver, it's hard for a quarterback to, to feel super comfortable. So I think there will be a little bit more of a, a wide receiver hierarchy this year where it's Marvin Mims, Theo Wees that are going to get 75%, 90% of the snaps then your, your number three guy might rotate a little bit more. But we might see a guy like L.V. Bunkley Shelton become your slot wide receiver where he played 90% of the snaps at Arizona State. He might be your slot wide receiver, and you have a, a legit three guys that are going to play you know, 75 to 90% of your snaps, and there's going to be a little bit more continuity. My question about where Dylan Gabriel ranks in this is, you, know, you look at tier three, which he calls pretty, pretty good, and I feel like we have a pretty good under pretty good understanding that Dylan Gabriel's pretty good. Like he's thrown for 70 touchdowns in his career, more than 8,000 passing yards, average 300 yards passing per game. You look at his work against the power five and yeah, UCF only went two and one, but he averaged 300 yards per game through 10 touchdowns 
to just two interceptions against Pitt, Georgia Tech, and I'm blanking on the third one right now. Um, but he, he played well in the – oh, Stanford. Beat Stanford in Georgia Tech, lost to Pitt. But overall, in those three games, played pretty well. Completed 65% of his passes. So if you're looking at a guy and you're wondering if he's pretty good, I feel like that's a good like, like place to, to look. Solid competition against some solid Power 5 teams that I think we can extrapolate a little bit. Yes, is it a step up in competition for Dylan Gabriel? Absolutely. It's also a step up in talent from what he had at UCF. No disrespect to you Knights fans out there. I know you'll come find me. But I think this the talent level at Oklahoma, you can look at recruiting classes, you can look at the number of NFL draft picks that they produce. It's legitimately better than what they had at UCF. And so he's going to have better talent around him while he goes up against better competition. So, yeah, I, I look at the tier four and I'm like, okay, I, I can kind of see that if you're going to pair him with Spencer Rattler a little bit. I think he's probably a better quarterback than Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's the guy he was probably going to replace if he did stay at UCLA, which is where he initially transferred to before coming to Oklahoma. But you look at that tier three and I'm like, okay, Virginia's Brennan Armstrong, Malik Cunningham from Louisville, Sam Hartman from Wake Forest, who I think should probably be a tier higher. Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee could potentially be a tier higher. Grayson McCall at Coastal Carolina could be a tier higher. Will Rogers from Mississippi State and then KJ Jefferson at Arkansas. Like, I feel like Dylan Gabriel slots in pretty well with those guys. I don't disagree. And I like a lot of what you said too. All respect to our friends out there in Orlando. But yes, there is a step up in talent across the board. What Dylan Gabriel now has in Norman, Oklahoma. And UCF's a talented football program. Collectively across the board, what Dylan Gabriel's got around him. Recruiting stars tell us it's better at Oklahoma. The other interesting thing with this list from David Hale. So the top tier is entitled Heisman or Bust. And we told you, or I at least alluded to it, that both C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, respectively from Ohio State and Alabama, they comprised that first group. But there was a third name in that Heisman or Bust category. And joining them in that subcategory in tier number one is Caleb Williams. What do you think? I mean, that's interesting He's got a lot of hype around him going to USC. Does Caleb Williams, is it still too much too soon for him to be in that type of category, fair or foul? I don't think we can say he's at the same level as Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, but if he doesn't contend for the Heisman in 2022, if he's not a finalist, I think it'd be a disappointment considering he was pretty good at times for the Oklahoma Sooners, had a couple down games as a true freshman, but he did set the world on fire against Texas Tech, against TCU, was great against Texas in the second half. Like, he played really, really well. There's a legitimate reason for the hype. He's got Jordan Addison coming to join him, Travis Dye, a pretty good you know, collection of talent over at USC. And so I think, I mean, the expectations should be there. Like, that's why the expectations were so high for Spencer Rattler in Lincoln Riley's offense with the talent that they had. You should expect these guys to contend for the Heisman. They didn't. Spencer Rattler didn't contend for the Heisman. Caleb Williams came in, flashed for a few games, then had a down game against Kansas, a down game against uh, Iowa State, a down game against Baylor, and kind of washed away his Heisman uh, promise. But I think at USC, if he doesn't against the conference that, aside from Oregon and Utah, you don't really have much to contend with. 
I feel like you should probably put up some pretty good numbers there and be in the conversation. I still think it's going to be Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud's trophy to lose. Probably C.J. Stroud because we know the Heisman Committee hates giving it to a guy in back-to-back years. Haven't done so since the 70s when Archie Griffin won it. So, yeah, I, I think Caleb Williams should be in the conversation just on the sheer fact of the talent that he's going to have around him, that USC is probably going to be pretty good in a, in a down conference in the Pac-12. And he's going to put up numbers. And they're honestly, they're probably being a lot of shootouts. This will probably look a lot like the Lincoln Riley, Baker Mayfield years or Kyler Murray years where they're having to win games 42 to 39 or something like that. And so I'm expecting Caleb Williams to contend. I don't think he'll win it. My money is still on either Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, but I think he needs to be in that category because if he doesn't contend for it, then it's a huge, huge disappointment and a bust of a season for USC. And he's got the groundswell of support behind mm-hmm. him, seemingly from the media, which don't don't think that that doesn't help him no, in terms huge. of of winning this Heisman Trophy or at least getting getting to New York City as a Heisman finalist. Personally, I don't think that happens in 2022. We talk about the collection of talent around you. I'm not crazy about the type of opposition that Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley at USC will see in 2022 across the board. But I'm also not ready to say that they're winning nine games next season. And I do think that even with an individual award like the Heisman Trophy, typically, I know we've had our Robert Griffin years in the past, but typically quarterbacks especially get viewed throughout the prism and the lens of wins and losses. And I'm still skeptical that USC is going to be that nine 10 win type football team. So I don't know. Interesting how he set up these tiers. And I would probably have Caleb Williams one tier back. And the other Big 12 guys, you've got what Quinn Ewers and Shapen right behind Dylan Gabriel in that fifth tier. It sort of gives us at least one person's indication of how they view the quarterbacking going into 2022. Yeah. And I think most most people think Dylan Gabriel is probably the number one quarterback as things stand right now. I mean, some places might say Spencer Sanders. I still don't see it. But going into the season right now, as things stand, it's Dylan Gabriel. A guy like uh, Quinn Ewers or Blake Shapin could jump him in that conversation. But coming up next, let's talk Big 12 Heisman odds. Who's going to have the best odds? Who would you put your money on if you were going to bet over at betonline.net? Betonline.net. You said it. Go check them out. Our partners at BetOnline, they continue to be the number one source for needs and sports info, the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including the NBA Finals going on as we speak. Major League Baseball well underway. Fights even next season's NFL futures. They're all right there. BetOnline.net. It's your continued source for all of your wagering information from live betting, playoffs, esports, and more. So head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet online where the game starts. So we do have some Heisman odds. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's B. John Robinson and it's Dylan Gabriel atop at least the Big 12 leaderboard at 28 to 1 odds. Quinn Ewers checking in next with 40 to one odds and then JT Daniels after that at 66 to one odds. Yeah, that's what we got. And we got it going here for you on YouTube on the the scroll there at the bottom. But yes, if you are looking at these odds and you think JT Daniels has maybe better 
chance to win the Heisman than say a guy like Blake Shapin or, I mean, I think Spencer Sanders is a long shot, but I think JT Daniels is kind of in that same boat, even though I've been kind of pumping West Virginia for the last few months since they acquired JT Daniels. I still think we got to see something from him before we can expect him to contend for the Heisman. Looking at these odds, I'm like, I mean, Bajan Robinson has some of the best chances to win, but if Texas is good, like you alluded to in the last segment, if they're a good football team this year and they win a lot of games, is he going to get credit for that? Or is that going to go to Quinn Ewers? I think that it's probably going to go to Quinn Ewers. That's why really out of the three, and I'm sorry, Sooner fans, bear with me here. I think Quinn Ewers is the best bet at 40 to one, just because again, it would take, not that it's impossible, B. John Robinson, both running the football and catching the football out of the backfield. If he gets competent quarterback play next to him in Quinn Ewers and he gets it week after week after week, I mean, we we could see B. John Robinson have a Reggie Bush type effect in college football. Uh, you know, he kind of reminds me of that a little bit just because of his ability both, you know, running and catching the football out of the backfield. He's – you know, he's like that. He's of that mold, you know, McCaffrey, whichever college running backs from the past you want to toss into that type of group. I just think that usually the quarterback gets a lot of the credit. And I think that would be the case for Quinn Ewers. It's not impossible for B. John Robinson. I mean, obviously they have him at 28 to one odds, the same as Dylan Gabriel here. So they think that B. John Robinson has the better odds of the two. I tend to think probably a lion's share of the credit would go to Quinn Ewers. So that's probably where I'd feel most comfortable, especially if I'm wanting to bet somebody from the Longhorns. Dylan Gabriel, though, is an intriguing option with Oklahoma. He'd have to be great. The Jeff Levy offense in year one would have to resemble what Lincoln Riley offenses and Oklahoma offenses have looked like around here for the last five years in recent memory of Lincoln Riley, and then really the last two decades from the beginning of the Stoops era up until this point. And that's not crazy to think that that could happen. Oklahoma, I don't think, I mean, you look at it and B. John Robinson right now today going in, we, we don't really know about Javante Barnes in Oklahoma's backfield. We've got an idea that he could be a superstar type talent in the backfield. But outside of that, Eric Gray, Marcus Major, they're not, I think we've seen the sample size here. They're not B. John Robinson, right? So Oklahoma doesn't have that in the backfield. So a lot of what Oklahoma, their successes or failures look like offensively, probably going to be on the shoulders, right, of Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I don't mind his odds at plus 2,800. Uh, but I think you're right. The best bet there is that the best value is that Quinn Ewers at plus 4,000. I mean, I think both are, are probably a long shot. Like we talked about in the first segment, it's C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young right there, one and two. And then, I mean, we haven't even really touched on the fact that Will Anderson from Alabama, the defensive player, I mean, he had a fantastic year last year. I think he finished fifth in the Heisman voting. Coming back to Alabama could also uh, put himself in the Heisman race as well and end up as a finalist because if he has another season like he did last year, then it's going to make people – like put some put some stock in that, put some votes to his name. Uh, but the, one of the things I wonder about with Quinn Ewers is the freshman thing. You know, the even if he is as good as he's going to be, I think we saw it with Adrian Peterson back in 2004 when he set Oklahoma you know freshman rookie rushing record. 
the sorry the NCAA freshman rushing record. Uh, he lost out to Matt Liner, who had a great season. Matt Liner did, but Adrian Peterson probably should have won it that year. He was just phenomenal, fantastic. Any superlative you want to throw at him, he was great. But because he was a freshman, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that was like a no-go for the Heisman voters. I wonder if that same thing might carry over to a guy like Quinn Ewers. And would these two guys, Bajan Robinson, Quinn Ewers, and then you throw in a third name at Texas and Xavier Worthy, who I think is going to have a big season, do they kind of steal votes from one another and not allow any of them to really ascend to that potential uh, Heisman finalist situation? So it's going to be really fascinating to watch at Texas and and how uh, this team is covered and promoted because we know that the Heisman Trophy thing is also a promotion. You talked about it earlier. It's how well does the media promote? And that's why Caleb Williams will probably be in the discussion for a lot of the 2022 season is because the West Coast media will be all about, hey, Caleb Williams for Heisman, Caleb Williams for Heisman, because it's going to benefit them uh, in the the dollars and cents uh, category. So it's it's interesting. I, I don't think JT Daniels has a shot. Quinn Ewers, an outside shot, but the freshman thing. Dylan Gabriel, I mean, a lot's going to have to go right for this Oklahoma Sooners team. But I think if he has a, a great season, then he can put himself in the discussion. Uh, and then Bajan Robinson is just the running back thing. I mean, it's been a while since we've seen a running back win the award. Um, I'm looking right now. And the last running back to win it was 2015 when Derrick Henry won it. Uh, but, I mean, that's one. You know, only two running backs since 2009 have won the award. And just two running backs since 1999 when Ron Dane won it. So three running backs since 1999 when Ron Dane won the award. I mean, you had a, a wide receiver win it more recently and Devontae Smith from Alabama. So it's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's a really interesting year because you have a clear-cut top two, but not always is the favorite going to be the guy that wins it. No, and, you know, with Dylan Gabriel just kind of reacting to some of what you said there, if he were to seriously get in the mix and potentially win this thing, to me, other guys would have to lose the award being Mm -hmm. C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young and Caleb Williams, they'd all have to themselves and collectively those teams, they'd have to falter, I think, for at least the door to to open for Dylan Gabriel. Just because I I do put stock into the media builds this thing up a little bit and creates momentum for certain players, at least heading in, to have that initial leg up. And those guys certainly have that, it looks like, over Dylan Gabriel. J.T. Daniels, man – I'd rather have Deuce Vaughn odds than JT Daniels. Come on, man. He got no shot to win the Heisman. Yeah. Give me, give me Deuce Vaughn. Give me Bajan. I mean, give me, shoot. Give me Marvin Mims, honestly. Xavier Worthy. How about that? Xavier Quentin Johnston at TCU. Give me any of those guys. Smith and Jigba. Yeah. And you want to talk another big 12 guy, Xavier Hutchinson, even though he won't have a shot to win it. I'd I'd put money on him probably before JT Daniels. Even though I like JT Daniels, I just think the the long shot is there, you know. And and again, it's like Xavier Hutchinson's odds would be like probably plus twenty thousand or plus twenty five thousand. So if I'm putting ten bucks on that, the value is there. But he's not going to win the Heisman either. But at that point, you're it's all the same. Like if it's not some of your top five, ten guys, it's kind of all the same there. I put money on Spencer Rattler last year, and it didn't work out for me. So. But go to betonline.net, check out the Heisman odds. If you're feeling frisky, you're feeling like you want to put some money down, check it out at betonline.net. Coming up, we got to talk about softball, blew out Northwestern. But after I talk to you about Built Bar, 
Built Bar granola bars. I love granola bars. I even have made my own granola at the in the past when we lived overseas and it was hard to come by good snacks that just tasted like home. I made my own granola, but I love these built granola bars. I've I've been through two boxes already. I've got another order coming with another couple boxes. Love the chocolate peanut butter and the chocolate coconut. They're fantastic. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you can get a protein bar with just 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, and 4 grams of sugar in the built granola bars. Like you, I, need to, I need to say that again. 15 grams of protein and only 4 grams of sugar. They provide great energy, a great snack, and great protein for you to get through your day, to get through your workout, and just help you just to get in a healthier habit. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, get 15% off your next order at built.com. And thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Make sure you go check out one of the other great Locked On Sooners podcasts, or sorry, Locked On podcasts, whether it's the Locked On Cowboys, covering the Dallas Cowboys, Locked On Heat, Locked On Celtics, Locked On Warriors, a lot of great podcasts here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Josh, it was a beatdown in Oklahoma City. Northwestern got a bit of life off of a Rachel Lewis solo shot in the top of the third inning, but the Sooners said, nah, you're done in the bottom half of the third, scoring six runs in the bottom half and then seven in the fourth to run rule Northwestern in their first game. So your takeaways from the 13-2 win for the Sooners. Hey, just real real quickly before I dive into that, I agree with you. You should go check out one of the other Locked On Sooners podcasts, and you can do so on YouTube just by searching Locked On Sooners. It's all right there. Like and subscribe. Man, Oklahoma softball, when they flip that switch, you know, these last, you know, the last decade or so, it's frightening what they're able to do to really, really good teams in the college softball world the pitcher that they saw today I don't know how much carryover there was from the amount of pitches that she had thrown up to this point in the NCAA tournament but very very good pitcher right and Oklahoma made her look incredibly mortal in the circle and it's like as soon as the Sooners get pushed a little bit that solo shot that's no stress it just ticks them off it just turns the light bulb on and for them to have that six run outburst was incredible. The highlight of course of that, the TRA Jennings grand slam, not to be outdone though by a Jana Johns grand slam later in that contest to, uh, to put the, the bow tie on it. Jordy ball was an interesting story coming out of this one. She uh, came in to the circle for Oklahoma. We were wondering, right. When was Jordy ball going to make an appearance and she did with one out left to go in Oklahoma uh, right there in run rule territory. And it was kind of kind of mixed for Jordy Ball. I- I'm going to say something a little bit controversial here. I don't think that Jordy Ball right now is fully right. Even in the limited pitches that we saw today, I think there was some evidence that physically, it, it, whether it's physical and it's a, a pain threshold that she's still dealing with, which, you know, a, a fracture like Jordy has been dealing with, it would it would make sense. I think almost the mental side, the hesitancy to really rear back and be the Jordy ball that we saw throughout this uh, 2022 season to allow her to win the freshman of the year nationally, 
I think Oklahoma is going to have to win this national championship, you know, on the arms, on the shoulders of Hope Troutwine and Nicole May. That could be a gross overreaction to Jordy Ball in the limited action we saw. She might come out on Saturday as the starting pitcher for Oklahoma. I, I, I That was my honest initial reaction, though, that it's going to have to be Troutwine or May. I think it was a good first step to see where she's at. You know, I still think there's there's a lot to be determined about what her health is like, what she's going to be able to do the rest of the way. Uh, I, I wonder if they're going to just put her in a specialty role where they just use her as a closer almost just to just to get teams off balance. You know, go from Nicole May to, you know, from some of the off speed stuff that she's so successful with to, you know, throwing more heat and more, uh, you know, bringing in somebody who throws a little bit harder just to te- keep teams off balance, just give you that third arm. Because like you mentioned with Danielle Williams from Northwestern, c- you know, accumulating the amount of pitches that she has over the last couple of weeks, that wears on you. That eventually is going to wear on you. And it's going to, especially against the best teams in the country, you're going you're gonna to get hurt. You're going to get hit. And to be able to have that third arm to go to, even if it's just for an inning, like to, to take some of the wear and tear off of Hope Troutwine and Nicole May, that's going to be huge for Oklahoma. Even if like they get into run rule territory and they can be like, all right, Jordy, you're going to go finish this thing off. We're going to just give us an inning. That's all we need out of you. And like you said, if it's just a pain thing, she just strikes me as the person that's willing to pitch through pain. If it's something where she could damage her arm you know, further by coming out too early, I don't think there's any chance that they put her out there if she's not able to go. Uh, it's been three weeks. You know, I think some of what we saw today was a little bit of rust. And just kind of getting her feet wet. I liked that, you know, this was the situation they put her in. It was really low stress. One out to finish off a, a game where they were up 13 to two. And it was really a good environment for her, a raucous crowd to be in front of. You know, Patty Gasso kind of said it. She's like, I wanted her to get the experience to, to see what the crowd's like, to be in the environment before throwing her out there, maybe as a starter or maybe for an extended run in a game. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of what the, the, the reaction is going to be to, to Jordy's arm. Like how well did she handle it? Is, is there going to be a setback? I think we'll see more like as the, the series goes on and as they play deeper into June, but I'm not, I think it was a good opportunity, a good time to get her some game action to see where she's at and see what she's going to be capable of moving forward because you got to start somewhere. And this is kind of like this is kind of like a pitcher in Major League Baseball going on a, a spring assignment and throwing a simulated game. Like you've got to get something like that for her at some point. And so I liked it. We got to talk about the back end of the order for the Oklahoma Sooners because so much we talk about the first four hitters: the Jada Coleman, Jocelyn Allo, Tiara Jennings, and uh, Grace Lyons, who have been huge and they were great again today. But really, the Riley, the the Riley the rally started with Riley Boone's double off the wall in the third inning where, you know, they talked about it on the broadcast, but everybody's playing in expecting her to try to use her speed in order to get on base. Well, she just hits it way over Rachel Lewis's head out in right field off the wall for the double. And then Jana Johns brings her in with the next plate appearance to, to kickstart that thing. I think those two were absolutely huge. Riley Boone had two RBIs, Jana Johns with five RBIs on the day. Uh, when you have a lineup like Oklahoma's that can rely on your back half of the order to get to get on base or to drive in runs that's that's everything for this team because 
we know the front half of the order is going to produce, but if they can get something from the back half, that's going to be great for them. Well, and it alleviates some of that pressure in these types of settings, in these types of moments for that front half of the order that you sort of just expect, okay, Jada Coleman, Jocelyn Allo, T.R.A. Jennings, Grace Lyons, of course they're going to deliver. Well, sometimes in the postseason, it doesn't always play out that way. And all of a sudden, it's a little more difficult on this type of stage. You're right. That was a heck of a job by Riley Boone. She totally ignited the rally. And I thought it was important for Oklahoma. I mean, it gets lost in translation. You win this thing 13-2. to It gets lost in translation. Just the immediate response of Oklahoma in uh, obviously what was their WCWS series opening game, which didn't play out the way that Oklahoma fans wanted a year ago in a national championship run. And it is important to get into that winner's bracket where now they'll meet Texas. I like the fact for Oklahoma's standpoint that you lost to Texas the last time you played them. They handed you your first loss of the season Dolcini, a little bit of a bone to pick there. You think that's the direction the Longhorns obviously are going to go in the circle. So, it, it you know, the way that this this bracket has played out so far feels like it's setting up really well for Oklahoma. Yeah, we also got to mention Hope Troutwine. She did have five walks, but she worked around those really well. She had seven strikeouts, gave up the home run to Rachel Lewis, who was a really good hitter. She's got a lot of power. Uh, and then, you know, Jordy Ball gave up the inherited run to for trout wine to give up two runs in the game uh but i mean seven strikeouts five you know she battled i mean i, I think that's really what you could say about her her first college world series experience uh, um opportunity as well and i felt like she played she pitched well was it great no but she pitched well enough for them to win held them in it until the bats got started it was a good performance for her um and then yeah to, to face texas on saturday i think that's going to be huge this team is going to come and fired up ready to avenge the loss we've seen in the last couple years anytime they lose they bounce back and and they come back firing last season they were able to beat every team that ended up beating them during the regular season i think they're going to come in hoping to get a big win on saturday and we should not expect anything less it'll be interesting to see who they end up starting on saturday signs probably point to nicole may but you know, with Hope Troutwine only going four and two thirds, throwing 88 pitches, there's a good chance they could bring her back too. We'll, we'll, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they go with that one. And we don't know the fully the status of Jordy Ball just yet either. Any other thoughts on this game before we wrap up? Well, just real quickly on Hope Troutwine, I, I it was four and two thirds innings, so it you know it wasn't six innings because it was a run rule variety victory. But man, Oklahoma with this offense. I don't care that you you got into some trouble and you had five walks. To me, she battled like crazy. I thought she was fantastic overall in her debut. And if you're going to surrender a pair of runs, one of which was the inherited runner that you left over for Jordy Ball. So I almost don't even tack that run on to Hope Troutwine's right. day. I think she would have ended the game and not surrendered that second run if it was if it was just her inning to finish. But that being said, look, if you're going to surrender one or two runs, Oklahoma should feel like they're going to win every single time out. So I thought she was fabulous. I like the setup now for Oklahoma going forward. I don't think it should be Nicole May to start. I'd go right back to Hope Troutwine versus Texas. And she's pitched well all season long. Only a .51 ERA on the season. Uh, has more strikeouts than innings pitched. She's just 
been really, really good. And I think going up against Texas would, would put her and the Sooners in a good position to win that game as well. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Sooners and on Facebook, Locked On Sooners Podcast. You can also subscribe to the show on YouTube and we're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. For Josh, I'm John. We'll catch you next time. Boomer Sooner.